0: Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg, host of Alligator Preserves. And in today's show, I'm going to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Judy Cole, who also happens to be a poet. Now, don't run away. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Judy Cole, welcome to Alligator Preserves. Thank you, Laurel. You're welcome. And we're giggling because we're friends and we go way back. How far back do we go as friends?
1: Mm, I, moved when, here you ago, moved here, I moved here twelve years. I moved here twelve years ago. You were teaching at the high school, and I was at the middle school.
0: Yes, so we both have teacher
1: backgrounds. And then when we both stopped teaching at the same time, at the same time, you to be a writer and me thinking I might write, but just to take a break, <laughs> to take a break, and we both ended up working at our local bookstore. Yep,
0: and that was fascinating. And fun. Fascinating and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then work got in our way of writing. Mm -hmm. And so now we're going to talk about poetry. Now, you listeners out there, I can already hear your collective groan. (laughs) Because any time I taught poetry back when I was a teacher, my students would groan whenever I said, we get the poetry session coming up. What experience did you have with students in poetry?
1: Oh, well, you know, I taught special ed, so I didn't do a lot of poetry because the metaphors and the imagery was often, a lot of students who are categorized as special ed are very literal and it's difficult for them to get the meaning out of the poem.
0: I never, I never considered that. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah. The way I would break in with poetry would always be with haiku. Yes. 17 syllables. You know, you can only groan for so long. And I ended up getting some of the best poems from some of the young men in my classes. And it was just always fun to watch them. Counting on their fingers or t- <laughs> tapping on their legs or something to do the syllables. You know, I teach them how to do syllables, and it's like a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe poetry is like a puzzle in many ways.
1: It often can be very puzzling, and you're wondering what what did the poet mean by this word or or oh
0: puzzling. <laughs> I'm looking at it as a puzzle, putting together components to make uh-huh. a a vision, and and yes. It often is puzzling. hmm What was your first experience with poetry? Can you think
1: back, way in back? In terms of way back?
0: Or your first exposure?
1: Well, I'm sure it was in school, again, in an English class. I was lucky enough to have been considered for a, uh, an advanced semester of ninth grade English in the summer, summer school, back in Los Angeles Consolidated School District. You're, you're an L.A. girl? I am an L.A. girl.
0: L.A. to Leadville. There's a story for you.
1: Definitely. (laughs) But that's another time. Anyway, I know that in that session we we got into some poetry. It was a really fun class. And then because I had taken, I was what they called a midtermer. I had started school in February. So I had the first semester of ninth grade English in the spring. And then that summer I took the second So then I come back in the fall where I should have been taking the second and I needed something and I took creative writing as an elective. And I know we got into poetry there, a lot of haiku and other poems, both reading and writing. And so I guess that was probably my first real, real experience.
0: Well, I I googled poetic forms before you came over this morning and... Learned that there are 100 poetic forms, at least on this one web- website. And we're going to go over each of them today. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah,
1: because neither of us knows. <laughs> I can't even remember the poem, the forms that jo- Jeff taught us, Jeff Runyon from CMC, in his poetry class. His forms? <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my gosh. So you did take a poetry class. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm thinking first exposure way back, like. Dr. Seuss, right? I mean, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't know that that was poetry back then. Mm-hmm. Those were just silly, rhymy, fun things. And we didn't know that we were being prepped
1: to receive rhythm and rhyme. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, what drew you to poetry? After ninth grade, well, first of all,
1: did you did you get any kind of recognition in your school days for what you wrote? No, I never. I really never have. In fact, one time I in college I submitted a poem to the to the college collection of writings that people put together in college. It's not the yearbook, but right. you know, and it was turned down. <laughs> oh, do, you, do you remember what it was about? It was about. The long hours of studying, and, you know, it drags, and will this ever be over? You know, it was a whiny poem. Teenage it deserved, angst. It deserved to be turned down, but yeah. <laughs> College angst. So no exposure until, or no recognition until when? Well, just recently, between you, calling me a poet, which I am not. I'm a person who likes to write poetry, but... <laughs> I think that defines you as a poet. Okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, my <and> challenge then- <laughs> continues to try to convince
0: you that you're a poet
1: and then for a while because my my dear friend Kate Bell was involved in the Chafee County Writers Exchange um, and so I would go with her or I would meet her down there she was teaching in Salida or Buena Vista and they would meet down there and so I, um, I would go down for their meetings because it gave me a chance to see Kate and if I had something written um, that matched their theme of the month, I would share it. And sometimes there'd be some oohs and ahs, but that's it. And sometimes tears, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. They're a hard, more hardened group than you, Laurel. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: Not sure what that says
0: about me, but it says that you're uh, sensitive and kind. What do you think drew you to poetry as a form of expression? I, and, and recently, I would say. Now, when when you when I say recently, when did you really start? Was it with the Chaffey County Writers Exchange? I
1: think so. Yes. Yeah. Recently, that was when. And because of my friendship with Kate, and she is a poet, um, as
0: as you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is a more mature time in your life when you're finding poetry to be able to express whatever it is that's in your head. Why Why poetry? Why not short story? I asked this question to Keith Steinbaum. I interviewed him last week, actually, and he was a song lyricist. Mm-hmm. And he used poetry to get him through some really tough times. And what do you think drew you to it? It's short. <laughs> it's Not short. always.
1: Not always, but mine are short um, because I get, even with my own poems – I'm putting air quotes around poems here. She rolling her eyes. By the time I get to the, you know, the end, I'm, I'm bored with it and I'm tired. And, and I often have to go back and rewrite those last stanzas because they're just junk. I mean, I have to go back and rewrite all the time and over and over and over again. But those are the ones that, that have, that need the most work because I'm just, I'm just done. That's what poets and authors do. They write
0: something, and then <laughs> they go back, and then they get, get it. it. Yeah. So yeah, you're a poet. I'm gonna make.
1: I'm gonna have you read a poem right now. Just pick one. Just you brought several. Pick one. Yeah. Okay. Well, since we're talking about what what drew me to poetry, or this is a poem I wrote early in this most recent attempt of mine to write poetry. It was written for my husband for his birthday. And it's very short and very silly, but here goes. (laughs) The faux fish food school, once a dream, doesn't come close to our present schemes. Nothing is perfect, it's all good, life's uncertain dance ends where it should. Another year to form and spin, streams to know, trails to make kin. I'll go with you, hope you agree. We'll cast together, see what we see. Ice on the water, crystalline cascades, hidden treasures, love doesn't fade. Aw, did he love it? He did. And he's a fisherman. And he is a fisherman. And the faux fish food school is, for people who know Leadville, there's an old red, Schoolhouse on the south end of town and, you know, early in our days of coming here to camp before we ever lived here, we would talk about how maybe Mark could open that up and make it a, you know, a school for fly fishing and...
0: Oh, <laughs> could he still do that maybe someday? Because I would love to see, and we're talking Leadville, we're talking the Little Red Schoolhouse on the south side of Leadville, which I would love to
1: see open and used I, for something. I would too, but I think it's going to be something else. <laughs> uh silly little poem and, and he did love it
0: <laughs> and a lot of your poetry because i've heard a lot of it isn't necessarily uh
1: rhymey. Mm-hmm. and so is there a format that this bell this didn't because it was way before i took jeff's class i hadn't studied poetry formally i just i knew about hearing the beat feeling the rhythm feeling yeah. the rhythm yeah. and maybe throwing in some rhyme and that's what I did
0: and then so so we might as well talk about Jeff Runyon's class yes. right now up at Colorado Mountain College Jeff has a an MFA in poetry and he's brilliant at it and, and teaches a very in-depth poetry course which you took last year maybe or no I
1: took it in the fall of 2012
0: all right and I've heard a lot of people say that it was the toughest course they've ever taken.
1: It was tough. I mean, he held you to his standard. But he was very kind, too. You know, we had to share our poems every week. And um, they were supposed to follow one of the forms. And Did you do 100 forms? No. How like, many forms did you do? About seven, maybe? Okay. Six? Was there a favorite? I can't remember now. See, I need to go back and look over my notes. Yeah. But there were some I really struggled and some that sort of felt natural. So I took a creative writing class with him
0: last year, last fall, and he encouraged any type of creative writing, including poetry. And we had some very young students in the class who were poets and so inspirational. And I accidentally wrote a poem in dactylic pentameter, which sounds like a prehistoric creature. (laughs) (laughs) And he didn't believe me that I hadn't had training in it but as as you mentioned if you have a sense of rhythm and beat and just that that feel you can put your words into that and i'm going to call it a puzzle you can put the puzzle pieces in there mm-hmm. so they fit and you know you pick a rhyme scheme and you just kind of go with it and yeah you know, it wasn't a perfect dactylic pentameter but i got pretty close and and that was fun
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a puzzle, and maybe that is also you know why I'm drawn to it. That you the know, math, ma- the math aspect. Maybe are you, are you a math or English person? You know,
0: some people I'm are both. Either, yeah, yeah. Analytical
1: at all? Yeah, I have a, ma- a master, you know, a bachelor's and a master's in geology, a master's in environmental science. So I'm fairly analytical, but I also love words. I just love words, and that's another part of poetry, loving words. Have you written any poems, any odes to geology? No, I have not. Oh. <laughs> There's your homework. Yeah. <laughs> well, nature poems, maybe. I've written nature poems, yes. Do you,
0: do you, have you brought a nature poem with you? Um, Let's see. You brought lots of nature poems with you. I did. And... There's one you read before, and you characterize it as a randy, a randy nature poem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do, and I will share it, but it's not perfect. It it needs work. (laughs) All right, let's hear it. What's it called? It's called Still Crazy After All These Years. Okay. Sixty years, and the earth still surprises, delights, this lover. What a faithful tease. The sun rises behind the mosquitoes slowly rolling its warm fingers across our dewy valley. And where this soft caress massages the willows and sage, wet from a passionate night of moaning thunder and lightning fireworks, the moisture of love flashes to vapor. A line of mist rises, sways in the angled light of sunrise, quivers to mark the sun's furthest reach into cleft of our dark valley. Fog floats above this tender graze, then slowly scatters. But I remain pleasured, enchanted by this dance of sun and water and life.
0: Oh Oh my. (laughs) Oh my. Wow. And the mosquitoes, for anyone wondering out there, is the Mosquito Mountain Range. Here in Lake County, not the little things that no bite not the you on the butt.
1: <laughs> well, if you're... I added mosquito range, it would have ruined <laughs> right the rhythm. So I had to let, had to just hope people knew what I meant. Right? No, and this is the challenge of poetry. Right? And this is really a, a
0: metaphor for lovemaking, right? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, all those sensual words you have in there are just. Yummy and and steamy, and it's beautiful,
1: and that's how I feel about the earth. <laughs> and that's why you're a poet, I guess. So, <laughs> oh,
0: you're hearing it first on Alligator <laughs> Preserves. <laughs> you tricked me, Laurel. <laughs> Judy is finally admitting she's a poet. <laughs> oh my gosh, poetry. Back in high school, I know that we groaned when we had poetry sessions. Although when I was in fifth grade, I had a great English teacher and she brought us outside on field trips, outside to the playground Mm -hmm. and would have us lay down in the grass and peer through the blades and then write about it or, or, you know, lay on our back and look up at the sky. And, and I remember writing, I still, I think I still have some of those little poems that I wrote back then. So she really encouraged that. I think maybe later in school you might get discouraged because of having to follow a, a format and then I love the fact that we're discovering poetry as mature adults and we can read it and we can dismiss it or we can love it. I, yeah. I think it's great. Let's mm. let's hear one of your poems that's maybe less randy as you call it <laughs> although <laughs> I would I would characterize that more as sensual.
1: Mm. Okay. I can go there. Good. Huh. All right. Well, this is one that's uh, it's called Nature's Currency, and it's kind of about how uh, there are things. If you're out in nature and and you have an open mind, there's things you can learn from just observing. So Nature's Currency. A perfect golden aspen leaf, bright, supple, and whole, lay cupped upon sugary snow, it must have drifted down from adjacent dormant tree ever so recently. Icicles dripped and formed anew, rippling snow duned, then doomed again. The leaves still fluttered from its branch, golden doubloon on a penniless bough, spent freely, ever so recently, This fallen quarter of autumn does not seem to belong to the season when winter transitions wetly to spring. It plummeted here unmercifully ever so recently. What message was coined in this drift? What observance from nature's vague crucible? A mournful cry of life's blithe barter? Or silent witness of life's brave exchange? Which message will I choose? A question I've pondered. Ever so recently. Now that sounds like it has more of a formal. This one I wrote for Jeff's class, and this is the one that he said, "You're getting close to having a real poem there." <laughs> <laughs> and it's the third stanza. I think that through or fourth stanza that Fulfilled was, his expectations. That would no, that didn't. Oh, and well, I've rewritten it. This is the third rewrite. So, all right. there you
0: go. Gorgeous imagery again. You have some personification in there, in a way, this leaf that falls, the sugary snow, which, oh, Colorado has, boy. I mean, I grew up on the East Coast, and I did not like winter because the snow was, well, the snow was kind of like it is today on May 10th, heavy and wet and spring Mushy, snow. she? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but typically, you get that just beautiful, crunchy, dry, sparkly Here snow. in Colorado,
1: yeah. yeah. What was your inspiration for this poem, we have two aspen trees behind our house, and we—I was—I was out for whatever reason. I was out and uh saw this this aspen leaf. I mean, gold fall autumn aspen leaf just sitting there on the snow. It's like, why now? <laughs> why, why didn't would... you fall and fall exactly? Yeah, some still cling on. Cling on. Right. We have cling
0: ons. We have cling fellas. <laughs> It was spelled with a C or a K. (laughs) Do you write in other
1: forms? Do you write short stories? Do you write, do you journal? I used to journal all the way through graduate school. I journaled. And then, you know, life hit and I quit. I haven't really journaled since. I do sort of write in other forms. Like, you remember the, uh, which mountain is your favorite contest you had? And I wrote something for that that didn't quite match what you guys wanted, but you ended up giving me a honorary mention. Our writing group, that was a long time ago. It was. Wow. So those were
0: two really beautiful, sultry in nature poems that you
1: shared with us. Do you use poetry to express any other kinds of emotions? Often, especially in the last three years <laughs> since the uh, elections in November. Have you written a poem? I have. A political poem, maybe? I've written several. I, I have one of them in front of me that I could share. Sure. I kind of need to explain where it comes from. Okay. You know, after the election, we were all trying to figure out how this happened, and the, the news feeds were also trying to figure that out. And I, there was a, a interview done with a farmer in Iowa saying, well, you know, I've just been forgotten the last eight years. And, and what I read into that was, well, he didn't see someone in the White House that looked like him. And so that's what he was upset about and why he voted for Trump. Okay. So this so poem is called? Mirror, Mirror. Okay. I don't know why. I just came. <laughs> okay. Mirror, Mirror. Farmer, farmer, standing tall. Give us, give us your best call. I've been forgotten these eight years. Now you'll trade for our worst fears. Sad, so sad, so hard your plight. Glad now, glad now, maga end in sight. Just because his skin was black, you resolved sweet change you'd flack. Colored man, colored man stands forlorn. Back go, back go, a place you've known. Immigrant, woman, gay pride parade. Find your true place in cracker's shade oh, so there's some anger
0: there there, there is definitely some <laughs> anger there even in the way you read it. The mirror mirror on the wall tell me who's the you know who's the, the fairest of us all. all so you've you somehow had an evil person looking into a mirror <laughs> in the back of your mind. you know we're talking Disney here <laughs> <laughs> evil Disney evil Disney well, Disney has evil in it,
1: yeah. Yeah, well, those, all those fairy tales that he, that he put on film, yeah, mm-hmm. they're eviler in the original forms than he had them. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. So, okay, so you're not
1: all puppies in love, no. And no. how long did it take you to write this poem? It's a short poem. It's very short. I don't remember. I don't think it took me long because I was just so angry. I understand that. I wrote a
0: series of haiku. Oh, several years ago when something was happening in town here that just angered me greatly. I should pull that out one of these days and read that. I was so angry. But to be able to put it into a format that challenged me and took thought, I don't know, it helped somehow.
1: Yes. Yeah. Because I could put some of of the anger away. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Here it is. I've done something positive with it. Right even though it might anger some of our listeners, right?
1: <laughs> right. It sure could.
0: Writing angers people. Writing
1: mm-hmm.
0: writing in any genre, I think, is meant to elicit a response, some sort of emotional response, be it happy, sad, ang- angry, whatever. Yeah. I think that's what makes writing powerful, if it does elicit that response. Mm-hmm. We'll see if we get any comments about about your political. <laughs> <Nail biting. poem. laughs> I won't I won't tell you. I won't even I'll just hide them. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> you said that you wrote a poem for some of your women friends? Yes, I did. Read that. Including one. you. Including it's, me. It's wow. um yes. It's for I had two very good friends growing up. We lived kind of in a trying to they lived across the street, kitty corner from me, and I was sort of the apex of the triangle, I guess. And um, we played together all the time, and we played Let's Pretend in Lori's backyard, and we could go for hours playing Let's Pretend, and that would go like minutes. I mean, the sun would be at noon, and then it would we'd be calling, being calling in for dinner, and that you know that whole time just evaporated playing Let's Pretend. So. I wanted to honor that. And then is sitting, you know, Laurel and I and, um, my friend Liz and, um, and uh, other people would sit in Laurel's parlor and have tea and discuss things. And that time would evaporate too. Um, although we were discussing a lot of different things. And so this poem was written to, to honor them. And again, it's, there's a little bit of anger involved in how women are treated. Okay. So it's for candy and. Jamie, uh, a friend I taught with, for Kate, my poet friend, Laurel, Liz, and my other childhood friend, Lori. In summer backyards, three girls pretended, flow of time interrupted by narrative dream. Boredom vanished, disbelief suspended, in make-believe strange power to redeem. Keep fresh those girlhood dreams and well-tended, so girlhood kindness is more than a scheme. Then honeysuckle tea and mud pie scones refresh our world as we age into crones. In winter parlors three women wonder where do we gain release from this mean day? The faithful kill, bombs splinter, pirates plunder. Old make-believe can't send these terrors away. Can't keep the rapists from splitting girls asunder nor stop the bullies from their vaunted fray. I wish we girls could just announce a game. Let's pretend and tame the outlaws with shame. Mm.
0: (sighs) Let's pretend. (laughs) Let's. You're also talking about the passage of time here, too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of poetry talks about that, addresses it. Where does it go? Does does time fly? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Flies faster and faster, it seems. Yeah. Someone once explained to me that when you're two years old, one year is half your life. So it's, it's a huge amount of time. But when you're, oh, let's say if I were 60, (laughs) one year is, you know, a 60th, which is a teeny little bit. And it gets shorter and shorter. Yeah. To my listeners out there today, I hope you're enjoying my episode with Judy Cole as we discuss poetry and how it's not that scary. I hope you might consider becoming a patron of the Alligator Preserves podcast. I'm a one woman operation here and your contribution each month will help me find and share stories like this one that will entertain and maybe even inform you a little bit. Go to patreon.com slash preserves to see how you can support my work. And now stay tuned as Judy's going to read a poem that made me cry recently, and it's about a cat. We are back with Judy Cole, who's finally agreed that she's a poet, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) and the two of us along with a couple other writing friends, Stephanie Spong and Carol Bellhouse, attended a lovely, really fun meeting at the Lake County Public Library a couple weeks ago where their new youth program coordinator, Becky Young, had a poetry night with some of her students and open to the public, and it was just inspiring to see these young people. Oh, they were so much fun. Yeah, and a couple of them had to overcome a little stage fright, I think, mm-hmm. to read, share their work. But it was wonderful, and you read a poem about a cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would really love for you to share that right now.
1: Okay. (laughs)
0: Because we've got a lot of cat people out there, and we have a lot of people who I think will be able to relate relate to this poem. (laughs) Relate to this poem.
1: Okay. It's titled, "In, in an homage to Big Bang Theory, Soft Kitty, Warm Kitty. I have mopped the last of her paw prints, messy cat, swabbed the last consequence of a missed litter box, thoughtless arthritic cat, "'laundered the last towel, sheet, and blanket, "'shedding cat, clawed cat, "'given away most of her things, pampered cat. "'I have slept through the night, "'no longer thwack awake for pets, demanding cat. "'Husband enjoys the length of his couch, commanding cat. "'Visitors no longer warned, hissy cat. "'So is she gone?' when there is no longer fur in the lint trap, when I don't think she's just sleeping in the back room, when I don't expect her at the door, when we don't miss the force of her spirit and long evening pets, when she doesn't find me as I cry. Will she be gone? Soft kitty, warm kitty? Maybe? Probably. But always ours, Terrible, troublesome, comforting, calico cat.
0: You did it again. <laughs>
1: you had me in tears that night,
0: and I, st- I don't know how you could read that without...
1: I teared up that night, and I'm kind of tearing up now, but I'm trying not to. We had this cat for 19 years, and she died in her sleep a few weeks ago, so... And it took me a long time to write this. I wrote it in my head any number of times. Really? Yeah. What was the
0: first line you put to paper?
1: Um, I have mopped the last of her paw prints. Oh, <sighs> and I, that. I know, again, I wrote that and rewrote and rewrote that in my head a lot. That got to me immediately,
0: and so that set me up for the end of the poem. And you do it so subtly and beautifully. You introduce us to this cat and all her personalities and all her troublesomeness and all her wonderfulness. What was her name?
1: Ellen. Ellen. And, yep, she was named. We let all. We've had three pets in our married life, and um, they all named themselves. Really? And yes, the first one, a miniature Dachshund. We let our older daughter name her, and um, she had a whole list of German names. And then when we got to the point where we were going to name her, she said, no, no, that's not her name. Her name is Anne-Marie, the French <laughs> name. <laughs> you just, you heard Anne-Marie somehow? Our daughter did. Okay. Uh, that's our older daughter. Okay. And then Ellen was our the second pet to come to our life. And so we let our younger daughter name her. And she was going to name, El- our younger daughter was going to name the cat after a um, anime character. And then again, the younger daughter said, no, that's not her name. Her name is Ellen. So, and then with the third one, another miniature dachshund, we couldn't think of the name. And so we all had different names. So we decided to write them all down on pieces of paper and scatter them around the floor and let the dog name herself. Oh! And the dog went immediately to Lucy. So the dog was named Lucy. I love that idea. <laughs> Parents
0: out there or new pet owners, that's a great idea. Yeah. Because family members might not always
1: agree. Let the pet... Picked their own name. <laughs> oh, that's fun. And those were all sort of homages, again, to Anne McCaffrey, who wrote the Dragon Riders of Pern series where the dragons named themselves. The dragons transmitted the, their name to their the, the child they picked to be their writer. Okay. And then, the, and then they said that the children then would say her name is or his name is. And then you mentioned the Big Bang Theory Yeah, this one, too. And Soft I, Kitty, I'm, Warm I'm not Kitty. A, I'm not a follower. <laughs> uh, everyone tells me I need to follow that, but do they have a... They have one of the characters, Mom, would sing him this short little song, Soft Kitty, Warm Kitty, when he was sick or upset. Um. And then he makes his friend, he's now 30 years old, and he'll make his <laughs> 30-year-old friend sing him that song. <laughs> <laughs> As he also makes them rub Vicks Vapor Rub on his chest, or bring him hot soup, or something.
0: <laughs> maybe I'll try it again, so I don't get any hate mail from from being a Big Bang Theory hater. You're not a hater, <laughs> which I'm not. Just I just haven't. I I haven't learned to appreciate it yet. <laughs> maybe it's it's it has a laugh track, doesn't it? No, it has oh, a doesn't? live audience. Oh, maybe it's that I'm having trouble with. Maybe I just need to get over that. <laughs> Well, during that same night with Becky Young, and thanks, Becky, shout out to you because you're doing a great job. You did something with nonsensical poetry. Mm-hmm. Can you remember oh, Can you remember what she called it? Oh, frack? It was a bizarre word. word. I'll have it in my show notes. I'll have a link to it in my show notes. We'll ask her because I wouldn't even know how to spell it. But basically nonsensical poetry where you use a lot of sounds and automatopoeia and things that just don't really make sense. So we talked about some kind of fricker-fracker whatever nonsense poetry and shortly thereafter our son Nick was visiting and I was talking to him about about it and he asked me if I had read any Gertrude Stein Have you
1: uh, yes I have you know here and there here and I've there. never read a whole book you know of her poetry but yes do you recall how
0: you feel about her poetry
1: It's puzzling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Back to that word again.
1: Well, but I like it.
0: You like it. Well, we'll we'll get back to that because I want to ask you why. So Nick shared a poem with me and I just was shaking my head. So I went on right before you came over. I went online and I found stanzas in meditation. And she has many. And so let me just share this one with you. There's only one punctuation mark, it's at the very end, and it's a period. All right, here we go. She may count three little daisies very well by multiplying to either six, nine, or fourteen, or she can be well-mentioned as twelve, which they may like, which they can like soon, or more than ever, which they wish as a button, just as much as they arrange, which they wish, or they can attire where they need, as which say, can they call a hat or a hat a day made merry because it is so. Period.
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, here's the thing with red poetry for me. I get caught up early on, and then I lose it. So I'm caught up in the thinking about the Three daisies six, six, nine, and then skipping to 14. And then she comes back to 12 because three, six, nine, 12 are multiples of three, but 14 isn't. And so I'm thinking about that. And then I miss the rest of it. So there's a lot of poetry that I have to read myself, like your batik poem to get it. Okay. And I, that's happened to me with this. And, Maybe instead of just dismissing
0: this as jibber-jabby, jabber You have to think about it. You have to think about it. One of my first classes when I went to Smith College was lyric poetry. And here I was, you know, going from high school to my first semester at college, and lyric poetry scared the heck out of me, just the title of it. And I didn't want to take it, but I had to because I had to fill a requirement. It ended up being the best class One of, I'll say one of the best because there were many good classes, but one of the best classes I ever took, my teacher, Ms. Scarda taught us how to read poetry and how to deconstruct it. There's a word for you, deconstruct it. And I think I would have to spend a long time with this one. But just as you did in listening to this, and you haven't read this poem before, you just heard me read it Mm -hmm. right now. You're already picking up on the patterns with the numbers. And you know you start with three daisies. And for me, I wasn't so focused on the numbers as the she loves me, she loves me not Uh, with the daisy plucking off the little petals. And so I don't even know. I don't even know what this means, but it's
1: a stanza in meditation. Right, you've got to meditate on it. Yeah. And lately, you know, my husband and I have been watching some shows on Amazon Prime that while we're watching it, we think, this is so stupid. You know, the characters are so stupid, they do dumb things, and we, we, you know, we're almost so sick of them, we don't want to continue the series. But then when it's over, we've both commented that we're still thinking about it. So it's in our head, and even though it seemed horrible, it was good because we are still thinking about it. And I think a poem like that is the same way. You read it and read it again. And then in calm moments, when you're walking along and your brain is open, you're thinking about it again and puzzling through what does it mean? And that's kind of the power. And again, I I think she was a cohort of
0: Picasso around that same time period. And so you think about what Picasso did with painting and in a way... Maybe she's doing the same, same thing. thing with words. words. She's shaking up the expectations that we're going Twisting to have a, perfectly, yes. a perfect dactylic pentameter, <laughs> <laughs> or iambic pentameter, you know, Shakespeare's time. All right, so bring us back from Gertrude Stein's
1: very puzzling poem to one that may not be so puzzling. I don't think any of mine are puzzling. <laughs> <laughs> I am straightforward. <laughs> now, you said this one's a little bit... Intense or sad? Sad, I think so. All right,
0: we'll end on a happy one. Okay. But I would love to hear this one.
1: All right. This one's called Life's Little Charms. Again, I don't know why I named it that. (laughs) And it also has the cat in it, but just at the beginning. The cat has claimed her reposing spot where I must step to come and go, accomplishing my daily chores, a mid hall patch of floor. A waking stretch and yawn announces cat's arousal, and rising from her morning nap, she comes to me demanding a scratch. However, I must run to dryer's ping. When stepping on her napping spot, bare feet feel unexpected heat that's soaked and steeped at Kitty's seat. I linger moments, tingling, savoring, this brandy warm that seeps unbidden, purging winter's dreary alarm, "'startled and wondrous of life's little charms. "'A nippy morn when furnace fights a frosty touch "'and nightgowned legs display a goosebump garden, "'I make our bed, find covers warm "'where husband laid his head. "'I jump back in our cozy den "'and wrap the shroud of his warmth around me, "'praying I'll always hold him near, "'a blessing, ardent soul, life held dear.'" Preoccupied, I brood about another morn. Stark sky, dark, grim ambulance departed. Did Mom, so alone, return to their bed and sink in warmth where Dad had last laid his head? Oh, Judy. (laughs) I'm crying too. (laughs) It's gorgeous.
0: The beds, the repetition of... Places of warmth and comfort. Oh.
1: <laughs> wow. Thank you. You're welcome, I guess. <laughs> oh. You, you are, are a
0: poet. Do you have enough for a book?
1: Um, one of those short 15 poem books I might have. Should we get that out there this year, please? <laughs> Will you? I can't promise. But if you would work with me on it, I would.
0: We're going to have a book of poetry by Judy Cole this year. (laughs) (laughs) And then you can believe. (laughs) Believe. You're a poet. Judy, thank you.
1: All right, make me laugh. All right, I have a funny one. Okay. All right. This was written for Jeff Rundin's class. I don't think he liked it, but... Jeff,
0: your ears are probably burning like crazy right now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it has no title. The dandelion flower makes me glad. White puff that disappears on breath of child. From cold Quebec to sunny Trinidad, their sun-kissed butterheads grow free and wild. Sometimes they are the only pop of color. Spontaneous relief from quartz and sand. Cool respite from summer's lazy duller. I think these common flowers really grand. My neighbor likes a tidy, ordered yard, so quickly murders cheerful dandy heads against a hint of gold, she stays on guard. Maybe I'll plant some in my garden bed. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I have always loved dandelions. <laughs> and why?
0: Why do we spend so much time and money and poison on getting
1: rid of them when they're so beautiful? They're beautiful. They're good. They're the first flowers in spring for the bees. They're, every part of them is edible. Yeah, I don't You can know. make
0: wine from them? Yeah.
1: Oh, bees. Okay. I will share a little
0: poem with you, a haiku. My youngest son, Jake, suggested that for some of my patrons on Patreon... I send them a handwritten haiku each month. And I thought that was a great idea. Become a patron. (laughs) patron, Become a patron. patron. Yeah. And you'll get one of these. And so hopefully my patrons won't mind me sharing this one with them. And it was for May. And the idea of bees was in my head as well. Of course, we have you know snow covering everything right now still (laughs) in Ludville, but here's my haiku. May be fly away. Pollinate another day. Maybe we'll survive.
1: Ooh.
0: So I played with the may and the bee and the maybe. And haiku is not meant to rhyme. But there are really there really aren't too many rules. It's a three-line in poem with syllables. In the Japanese tradition, usually about nature, and yep. yours is. Five, seven, five. Generally, there's some kind of thought-provoking thing right. in your last five So so maybe I did
1: it. Maybe. Maybe I did it. But yeah, bees. Bees are... I'm scared. I'm scared for the bees. Yes, because if we don't have our pollinators, we won't survive.
0: No. But anyway, back to your poem. It was lovely and fun and thank you. And I don't know why he wouldn't have loved it other than that you didn't have a title for it. Is it legal (laughs) to have poems with no titles?
1: Um, Will you be taken away to poetry prison? I have no idea. I think in today's environment, you do not need a title. But it would be good to come up with one.
0: A poem challenge for you. Taken away to poetry prison. (laughs) Judy, thank you so much for sharing your legitimate poems with us.
1: (laughs) Thank you for being willing to listen to them, Laurel. It was
0: wonderful. And uh, I think we need to work on that book this year. So just putting it out there. Let's do it. All right. All right. We're going to do it. To my wonderful listeners out there and the storytellers and now maybe poetry appreciators, if not lovers, you can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at I would love to hear from you. Please email me at laurel at Let me know what you think about today's episode or any other ones and follow me on Twitter at Leadville Laurel. If you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts to keep up with my latest episodes. They're all going to be surprising and different. And tell your friends about my podcast. I hope you help support me on Patreon. Check out the rewards you'll receive. Obviously, at a certain point, you'll get a handwritten haiku from me every month, and it'll be different, and I might even put a note, too, in addition to the haiku, so think about that. And join me next time when I'll talk about something completely different. Until then, Judy, do you have toast in the morning ever? Yes. What kind of preserves do you use? Um, strawberry. Strawberry. Yeah, I could try alligator. You could try a, I would say stay away from the alligator preserves. Are, they're, dangerous. <laughs> they're a little stringent. <laughs> scary scary <laughs> preserves. <laughs> anyway, I'll see you around town. Yes, definitely. All right, bye. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at LeadvilleLaurel.com where she writes about life, real and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at Amazon.com.